Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and we're continuing our trade deadline lead-up discussions here. And one name, one team name, I should say, that's come up recently in connection with the Knicks is the Sacramento Kings. And so we, of course, had to call in Matt George, our lovely co-worker from the Locked On Kings podcast. And Gavin, in this first episode, we sort of set the table for future trade discussions in a second episode here. Yeah, we get into everything De'Aaron Fox, why he's been a slight disappointment this year, whether he could be considered a distressed asset or still one of the more promising young players in the league, the comparison between him and John Morant and their respective trajectories, and what the Knicks' interest would be in a potential deal and whether Julius Randle would be enough to acquire someone like De'Aaron Fox in addition to going bigger picture on everything Kings this season. So we'll get into that right now on Locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starks with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We wanted to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. We're, of course, available on all your favorite podcast platforms and YouTube now. We're getting dangerously close to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So, if any of you guys want to do us a hand, give us a hand and you know go on YouTube, drop a subscription, drop a couple likes on a couple videos, that would be much appreciated. And I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. Joined, as always, by Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we have a special guest today because, of course, we're continuing our trade season talks here. And that means that we have to... <laughs> All right, Matt, first off, I'll, I'll introduce. This is Matt George, uh, who you ne- might know as Matt George Sack on Twitter uh, from the Locked on Kings podcast. And Matt, the way I'm about to introduce this is how I've always kind of talked about the Kings. I understand that this sometimes flusters Kings fans, but we're going to talk to like the the sister team of the Knicks here on the West Coast, the Kings, the, the team whose name starts with a K that can never seem to get things right where things just uh, are always miserable and life is not great. Uh, do you think that's an accurate assessment? Is that insulting to be compared to the Knicks? Like, I wonder how you feel on that regard. <laughs> you know, I, I hope Knicks fans don't start throwing tomatoes at me two minutes in, but uh, Kings fans used to feel good about the fact solely that, Hey, at least with all the dysfunction that the Kings have gone through over the last 10 years, at least it wasn't Knicks level of dysfunction and now that the Knicks have become decent, I know they're down this year, but last year with Tom Thibodeau, the great run that they went on uh, making the playoffs and being an exciting team, then the Kings were like, oh, well, that's gone. All right, well, we just suck here. The only good team, in, or the only bad team, rather, uh, in the NBA in California. So, hey, here we are on the other side of the country just uh, sitting here counting the days till the offseason. What up, guys? <laughs> up, man? So we wanted to open up this uh, this whole discussion. I mean, obviously there's been – a lot of chatter going on in in the, on the Knicks side of things. You know, our most recent 
news dump last week saw a, a large number of writers all of a sudden saying, hey, nobody on the Knicks is untouchable anymore, you know, at least not from the veteran perspective, even Julius Randle. Uh, and we've seen the Kings sort of have a similar thing where it's like nobody quite knows who's untouchable, except for it seems like Halliburton is is most likely untouchable. But some people are saying that the Aaron Fox might be available. Some people are saying he's definitely not available. You know, it's there's a whole bunch of things going on there. So uh, I'm kind of curious, uh, it, like with all the young guards there. So you got Fox, you have Halliburton, Davion Mitchell. Obviously, they just drafted Buddy Heald, you know, who's making a decent amount of money, probably a prime trade candidate. But, you know, a, another talented guard there. Is there a, a long term future for Fox and, and Halliburton playing together? Do you think that one of them is going to have to go at some point? Like, what's your general read on that situation? I think the Kings are not quite ready to give up on that pairing yet. And if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, they've only been together for roughly a season and a half. And all last season, Tyrese Halliburton came off the bench uh, for Buddy Yield, which no one understood that decision. Thank God the Kings at least corrected that this year uh, with Tyrese being a full-time starter. But even with COVID protocols and injuries and things like that, it's not like they've spent all this season playing together. It got off to a rough start, a rocky start out of the two. Tyrese has been the more consistent. De'Aaron got off to a tough start and has since kind of turned things around and, and turned things on a little bit. But especially with COVID protocols and, like I said, injuries recently, uh, the two haven't spent a, a, a significant amount of time together. So I think the general consensus here in Sacramento is that the two need more time before you make that rash of a decision. However, kind of like you were talking about, Alex, uh, the Kings are not good enough to say that anybody on this team is untouchable. They're just not. And Monty McNair, Kings general manager, um, is under pressure for this team to uh, to make moves at this trade deadline. Now, two weeks ago, I would have said that the Kings are in a major need of a, a, a swing for the fences type move, hence the reason why you saw the Kings so involved in, in Ben Simmons' discussions. And I've been calling for that all season long, even going back to this offseason saying Kings need to swing for the fences, Kings need to swing for the fences. But that was with the belief that the Kings were going to be firmly in the play-in conversation and that swing for the fences addition would help them get through the play and actually into the playoffs. This Kings team doesn't look like they are going to even make the play in. So if you were to make a swing for the fences move now, which more than likely would involve having to trade one of Fox or Halliburton, which is why you're hearing Fox's name be brought up so much, the Kings would have to essentially use that star that they bring in to close the gap to just make the play in and then worry about getting through the play into the actual playoffs itself. So it doesn't make as much sense. My theory behind the whole thing is that the Kings did make De'Aaron Fox available uh, in trade talks with the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons. They have made De'Aaron Fox available in trade talks with other teams. We don't know what other teams, but Fox is not untouchable like he was uh, just uh, just during the offseason. However, we also saw the report from Sam Amick and, and Shams from The Athletic that the Kings are now committed to or still committed to building around Fox and Halbert. My theory behind that is that they floated Fox out there, realized he didn't have the value that they expected for him, and they're kind of covering their bases here so they don't piss off their star who, uh, who knows that this is a business and the Kings might have been shopping him and using his name to try and make improvements. So a long-winded answer to say, uh, Fox and Halliburton still are the future here in Sacramento as of now, but if the Kings can use either of the two of them to get obviously unquestionably better, they will. So where are you at on the Aaron Fox as a player? Because to me, 
He's one of the more fascinating guys in the league. I mean, coming out of Kentucky, like I think maybe one of my two or three favorite prospects in the last five or six years. Like I just love like the attitude he played with, like the way he defended when he was in college, obviously the explosiveness was, I mean, it, it was on par with guys like John Morant who, who are sort of the talk of the league day in and day out. And it feels like he sort of got lost in that young point guard conversation. And maybe even in previous years, it was under discussed. I mean, last year, I think he was one of two guys in the NBA to average 25 points and seven assists per game along with, Damian Lillard. And, and, and he's, he's interesting because he's one of those guys like where like whatever stats you choose to bring up, you can sort of build a narrative one way or another. Because like statistically in terms of defensive rating, he's been like one of the worst defenders in the NBA. And it's hard to tell, like, is that the infrastructure in Sacramento? Is that the guys around him? Is that Fox becoming sort of indifferent after years of playing for a struggling team? Um, in his second year, he became a really good three point shooter since then. Not so much. Uh, all that is to say he's kind of confounding to me. And I'm curious, Matt, do you think he's the type of guy who is obviously not a number one on a title team, but could eventually be a key piece slotted into the right role? Is he someone who has put up great stats in a bad situation? Is he someone who we just can't say what he is yet because of all those factors? Gavin, it's not surprising at all that you bring up uh, John Morant, because that's what the comparison is and will continue to be with De'Aaron Fox. It's John Morant, John Morant. And now, especially with John Morant passing Fox, even though he was drafted after Fox with the success of the Memphis Grizzlies, how fun the Memphis Grizzlies are right now. The fact that Jaw got the opportunity through the play in and the playoffs to shine and did so last season. will get that opportunity again. Fox has been left in the dust. I had Sam Amick on, on the podcast last week and Sam basically said, talking about the comparison to be between Fox and Jaw, Kings fans in the NBA thought that Fox was going to be the Jaw Morant for Sacramento Kings, and he just hasn't been. Like, this has been a step-back season for De'Aaron because he's paid like a superstar, he's paid like a number one guy, and he hasn't played like it, quite frankly. Now, I also question how well the Kings have surrounded Fox compared to John Morant's situation in Memphis. I think the Grizzlies did a phenomenal job of surrounding him with shooters and defenders. And here in Sacramento, Fox on paper should have a good supporting cast, but at the same time, they have a starting center who I love, by the way, and Rashawn Holmes, who doesn't space the floor and clogs the paint. Harrison Barnes is streaky from three-point range. Buddy Heald, don't be fooled by Buddy Heald, everybody, if you see his three-point numbers. Buddy Heald is horrific, and the Kings have been trying to get rid of Buddy Heald now for, for a couple of seasons, and hopefully they're going to be able to get that done uh, here at this trade deadline because Buddy shoots the Kings out of games and doesn't play a lick of defense. So I think there is an argument to be had for if the Kings do things the right way, which is a major if and a major question mark with this freaking organization, as everybody who's paying an ounce of attention knows. But if the Kings do things the right way here at this trade deadline and this upcoming offseason, try and bring in hardworking, defensive-minded, floor spacer-type players to surround Fox with to get rid of that excuse, see how Fox and Halliburton perform in that kind of optimal setting before we cast final judgments. I think that's what the Kings are looking for at this point in time. Um, but uh, Gavin De'Aaron has been disappointing. Uh, the the biggest thing that I've, I've seen with Fox other than a lack of consistent three point shot um, is Fox leadership style is not what this team needs. He's a very passive lead by example type guy. He'll talk, but he doesn't have kind of that dog loud, um, hell, uh, accountability holding voice. 
Uh, and that's something that this Kings team needs because it's clear right now that Fox, Halliburton, everybody, they're just kind of in vacation mode. They're in one, two, three Cancun mode already uh, because they know that this team, how this team is right now is not going anywhere. And until changes are made, these guys don't look like they care enough to, to give an effort one way or another. So I want to I want to circle back to one thing that you said about Fox in just a second here. But before that, I'm just going to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar and it's the new year. So that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good. You'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which could be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, you want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By week three, you might be thinking, this just isn't worth it. Where's the chocolate? And we're already on to like week four. You're probably really definitely begging for chocolate at this point. Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, so good news there. And they only contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. I've been eating built bars like crazy myself because I've been trying to go back to the gym again and get in shape and, you know, work off some of that holiday weight. I I took it a little easy end of last year. So I'm trying to really get into it this year. And built bars has been pretty key to, you know, give me the protein I need to not feel like I got run over by a truck every morning because otherwise without that protein, that definitely happens. And there's all kinds of great flavors. You guys already know my favorite's coconut almond. I go to those all the time. It's like eating an almond joy after a workout, but getting some benefits from it. So if you want to get some for yourself, go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So Matt, I wanted to, real quick, and then we can sort of start moving on from the Fox discussion, at least exclusively. But one thing that I was curious about with him, like, I, I think he probably would have a decent market if this was one year sooner. Like I kind of think the big thing to me, and it stood out when you were talking is like, he gets paid like a superstar now. And I've even seen some Knicks fans, you know, a a consistent mock trade that I keep seeing come up on Twitter and stuff is people trying to say, Oh, just do Julius Randall for De'Aaron Fox straight up. You get a, you know, you're, you're trading Julius Randall for a young guard with tons of potential, you know, look what he did at Kentucky, blah, blah, blah. And yet you look at all his stats this year and he's taken a step back in many categories, especially three point shooting. I mean, he's just gotten abysmal this year, um, which you could say the same for Julius Randle to an extent. But like the difference being Julius Randle is going to get paid in his final year of his contract. Basically what Fox gets in the first year of his max extension uh, or this year. And by the time that both their contracts are up, which they both expire four years from now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Fox will be making almost $10 million more than Julius Randle, like making close to $40 million on that that rookie max extension. So do you think that's probably part of where some teams are afraid of him is that you're, you're not seeing growth from him this year. You're actually seeing regression in the first year of a rookie max extension. And now you have to commit like potentially, a, I mean, you're talking about not quite 40% of your cap, but like 30, 30 to 35% of your cap to a guy who like, maybe isn't actually progressing in his career at 24 years old. Like, do you think that's sort of where the, the, where things have reached at this point? See, I think it's difficult to cast that much judgment on 
one season alone when Fox has made tremendous strides, especially last season. Like Fox made massive strides last season going from a really good player to the guy. And this season he hasn't lived up to that, which is fair. And I know as soon as the price tag is as high as as it is for Fox, your your expectations go up with each dollar sign. So I, I, I do completely understand that. I think, I think the hesitation maybe, or the reason why a Fox deal hasn't been done is that Sacramento is not trading De'Aaron Fox unless they know that they are getting equal or greater value for Fox. And Knicks fans might not agree with this. You guys might not agree with this. And we'll have a conversation about a Julius Randle trade uh, later on in the pod, I'm sure. But Julius Randle is not equal or greater value, just straight up, according to what I believe the Sacramento Kings would be looking for. Uh, if the Kings are, are looking to acquire Julius Randle, they're trying to do it without trading away Fox and Halliburton because the Kings are doing this in the idea that they are adding to this to make this team, give that team the boost that they need to get them into the playoffs. You could, I could easily argue that replacing the two helps the Knicks probably more than it helps the Sacramento Kings just because of the state of both rosters at this point in time. Um, that is where I think there's more hesitation, probably, at least on the Kings side of things, to get a deal done. Um, and I think there are also a, a fair amount of general managers and coaches out there that believe, hey, if I got De'Aaron Fox onto my team in my system, I can maximize De'Aaron Fox's talent versus we know Sacramento has had a horrific uh past and is very consistent at not maximizing talent talent leaves and goes on to shine uh elsewhere so basically in the king's mindset if the kings are going to trade away a player of fox's value who has who you now have contractual control over even if he is being paid a, a crap ton of money who also wants to be here in sacramento you're not letting that go unless you're getting a beyond fair deal in return now not unrealistic i'm not expecting like hey bradley beal for De'Aaron fox or anything like that that's ridiculous but my point is the kings are not budging from De'Aaron unless they're getting a star or former star all-star caliber player to replace him uh that makes the team better do you think there's a there's a plan in sacramento for lack of a better term because to me I mean, this this goes back to what Alex said at the very beginning of the show, like of Sacramento being Knicks West. I think both of these organizations are struggling for a clear direction. And the Knicks last year, we, it felt so good because it seemed like they had finally found that, right? They were the scrappy team that overachieved. They could do that for one more year. And if they just kept the good vibes going, eventually a star would come over or, or things would just inevitably work out, right? And for Sacramento, I thought last season, maybe not quite to the same extent, but there was a little bit of that with, with how good Halliburton was, like maybe maybe the pick of the entire draft along with, of course, Emmanuel quickly. Um, it, it seemed like, well, you can build around these two star guards. And then this year, if anything, it's a, it's a slight step back from that even though to your point they're actually playing them together a little bit more but when you look at um the trades discussed from a national perspective about the kings a lot of the focus is on all right what contender can we ship harrison barnes to but i know matt you're you're saying that no sacramento wants to win and understandably after i mean i guess what is it 16 years now of, of not making the playoffs like that it, it makes a whole lot of sense that they're saying hey we can't keep doing this and i i guess this is a long-winded way of saying i very much empathize that with that from a Knicks perspective, because a lot of Knicks pundits and me and Alex are sort of like, all right, let's just play the young guys and kind of see what they have. But I also get people pushing back against that saying, hey, we've been doing that for 20 years and it hasn't been working out. 
uh, when, when is the time to finally make a push? And, and there's this weird like uh, tug of war between the idea of, all right, you have to be patient. Like if this is going to work, you have to build it from the ground up. You have to really seal in this infrastructure and then go for it all versus like, all right, we've been trying that for such a long time and it hasn't been working. Yeah. Frustration, I know for a fact with Kings fans is that it seems like the plan changes with the wind here and the Kings don't fully commit to one side or the other. Um, when Monty McNair was hired and he's just in his second season as the, the Kings general manager, um, when he was hired, he came in saying that he wanted to keep this team flexible to put themselves in a position for a win uh, or a win now big swing type trade if that trade makes made sense, which is music to our ears because former regimes have just not even tried to get involved in a Ben Simmons or DeMontis Sabonis or Julius Randle sweepstakes because like we're the, we're the kings, we're not going to get it done, let's just move on. Um, so that was nice to hear. Uh, at the same time, the Kings this season or coming into the season said playoffs are the goal. Playoffs are the expectation. If the Kings don't make the playoffs, they now hold the NBA or they will hold the NBA record for uh, most uh, po- or like a longest postseasonless streak, which is going to happen. The Kings are not making the playoffs this year, uh, unfortunately. I mean, it's still mathematically possible, but come on. Um, so that has once again now potentially changed because we've heard McNair speak in an interview uh, here in Sacramento on Sacramento radio saying, no playoffs are the goal. We're still going for the playoffs, but that was a week and a half, two weeks ago before the Kings went on a very tough five game road trip, which by the way, their meeting with the Knicks is their final game of the road trip. And they haven't won a single one of these games. Then they return home for a game against Brooklyn followed by the very next night, a game against the golden state warriors. Like if the Kings waited until or wait until February 10th to make that big swing for the fences move, that's great if you can pull it off. But suddenly you're in a six, seven game hole just to make it into the play in. So suddenly that path is not the best path anymore. So now potentially what I think the right move for the Kings to do would be to pivot, to take assets that they have right now that they know aren't working. Buddy Hill, Marvin Bagley, maybe even Harrison Barnes if the price is right, maybe even Rashawn Holmes if the price is right. Trade those guys away and bring in either draft picks or more importantly, bring in that talent that I was talking about earlier. Good fit talent, hard work talent, defensive minded, two way floor spacing type talent to fit around Fox and Halliburton. Hopefully add a top five pick from this upcoming draft to that and then reassess where you're at going into next season. But this is another long winded answer because nothing makes sense here in Sacramento. The frustration from fans is that the Kings had an opportunity to do this very thing last season. And instead at the trade deadline, because they found themselves in the hunt for a play in spot that they, even if they got it, they had no chance of actually making it to the playoffs. They decided to be somewhat buyers at the deadline instead of trying to sell and put themselves in a position to cash in on last year's draft pick. So fans are just frustrated because it just seems like a circle. It's like, as soon as the Kings have any kind of momentum, It's like we want to take the shortcut to win as fast as possible. And then if that shortcut either doesn't work or it's no longer the right plan, they just hit reset, but they don't fully commit to the reset, if that makes sense. Like over the what's crazy is over the course of this entire playoff drought, the Kings have never once fully committed to a hard rebuild. They haven't. Their biggest change was when they moved away from DeMarcus Cousins, went the De'Aaron Fox route. That team quickly overachieved. They got lucky with the number two pick falling in their lap, and then they botched it by drafting Marvin Bagley. So it's just been a kind of vicious circle of failure that the Kings need to pick a direction and stick to it. And that's where fans are frustrated at this point in time. 
Sort sort of sounds like the Knicks, right, Alex? Yeah, I was about to say. Let me introduce you to like the 2016 New York Knicks. You know that were like the, the most classy example of the Knicks not being able to decide whether they want to rebuild or try to contend or whatever. Like back when they had Porzingis and then traded for Rose, who at the time, I mean, now we love Derrick Rose and what he's brought to the team, but he plays like a very different player than he did in 2016. And spending all the money on Joakim Noah, all that stuff. I mean, yeah, you don't have to tell us about that. Um, I will say, though, we didn't really talk about the fact that, yeah, like we are sort of we're doing this podcast on a day that the the Knicks face the Kings. It's sort of like the the stoppable force meets the immovable object. OK, this episode ran a little long. Of course, there's a lot to talk about between Knicks East and Knicks West, I guess. Uh, so we are going to save the Julius Randle trade discussion for a second episode, which we're actually going to drop today. So if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, don't go anywhere. There's going to be a second episode coming out that will have the Julius Randle trade discussions, as well as just some some broader strokes uh, trade discussions between what we think the Knicks and Kings might be able to accomplish together as trade partners, including Matt asking at the end, kind of like, where are Gavin and I on this potential trade and, and what's going on? So uh, we're going to get into that in just a little bit. So again, don't go too far. We'll have a second part of this episode out later today where we talk about Julius Randle trade options for Locked On Knicks. But until then, thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll be back in a little bit. Peace out. Talk to you all soon.